over the years, a lot of people have asked us why we decided to live the way we live and how we're doing it. Today, we'll go over the answers to those questions. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of July 19, 2012. This is our chance to uh, recycle for you the presentation we gave to the Central Alabama Master Gardeners Association on Tuesday of this week. Had a great group and good questions, and we thought it would be fun for you to have a chance to hear what we were saying. Uh, a lot of what we're going to be sharing with you today, uh, our regular podcast audience is already familiar with, but some of it will probably be new. And it does sort of summarize and condense and sort of in a nutshell get at the heart of what we're doing and how we're doing it and what we hope to do in the future. And we will apologize in advance. This is going to run a little long, but um, that's the the presentation on Tuesday ran a little longer than 20 minutes, so um, so be it. This is a present, and um, I, this will be clear in the show notes page, but uh, the slides are available online, and we strongly encourage you to have the benefit of those slides as you listen to this, because there are a lot of photographs in the presentation. It'll, be, it'll mean more to you. Yes. So the title of our talk is Becoming Resilient. Uh, another way to look at that is we had a request to talk about our um, trying to be self-sustaining and um, you know, sort of living the sustainable lifestyle. That's what this is all about. So we're going to be talking about moving towards subsistence, meaning moving in the direction of providing more of our own needs from here on the farm. We will be talking about using as little energy as possible and gradually reducing our need to spend money off the farm. Um, we've prepared this presentation. We said about 30 minutes. We actually were hoping it would run about 25, and I think it did. Yeah. And um, obviously there won't be questions and answers built into this podcast, but we certainly welcome you to... Um, Ask us questions uh, through the many means that are available here on longleafbreeze.com. So what we'll talk about in this presentation is why we're doing what we're doing, and we'll go over the elements that make up our strategy, and of course, our plans for the future will come at the end. I guess we ought to start with your perspective on why we're doing this, and then we can talk about mine. Okay. Okay. Well, the reason I got into this, and again, like you said, people who've listened to these before won't be surprised, that I'm a tree hugger from way back, influenced by college experiences, in particular, a mentor, Ed Passerini, who um, was way ahead of his time in predicting a lot of the things that are happening now, and seeing that we needed to begin, even back 40 years ago, living sustainably, and trying to step gently and lightly on the planet. Then I come to this from a different standpoint, that of understanding that society is due for some wrenching, uncomfortable adjustments to reality. Reality in the form of uh, resource depletion, 
breakdown of uh, infrastructure in many cases that we have neglected for far too long, the end of economic growth, a generalized decrease in employment opportunities throughout the culture. It's going to make for some hard times ahead, and it's going to mean a lot to have your own source of food, for example. So that's key for us. So you see those two different perspectives, but there's a surprising amount, a surprising amount of common ground between you and me. Yeah, and I've come over to your side of believing that we really do face shortages. We face uh, depletion of uh, our typical energy sources in the future and that we need to be prepared. So we're preparing in using several um, elements in our strategy. So uh, the first element would be our three principles that we devised probably four, four and a half years ago. The first principle is we are approaching but will never reach subsistence, meaning we are trying to provide more and more of our own needs, but no, we will always depend on sources from off the farm for some things. You always bring up coffee. Yes. And, and I always bring up dark chocolate. Dark chocolate, that's right. And spices and certain types of wine. I mean, I like muscadines, but let's face it, you can't beat a good glass of Chardonnay. <laughs> I can't grow those kinds of grapes here in central Alabama. Uh, we also, our second principle, familiar to those of you who listen to these podcasts, is it's got to be fun while we're doing it. And um, we've, we don't view it as partying down 24-7. We view that as feeling a sense of accomplishment and um, pride in what we're doing and learning new ways to do things that, yes, they're pleasant because we're, we're making progress toward a goal. Um, and you've heard many times, perhaps, that I do have certain activities I do not think are fun, like weeding and getting out in the hot summer sun to plant something. But overall, it's the, it's the end result that we're going for, and that part does make it fun. Exactly. And the last principle is we don't make allness statements, meaning we don't say we will only eat food from 100 miles away, we will only eat vegetables, or we will never use pesticides, or we will never use fertilizer. What we say is there are some things that are important to us, and we work to minimize our use of things like that. But um, we're not going to lock ourselves in because we will always adjust to reality at the time and we're unwilling to declare something off limits. Even though you just used an allness word, you said we're always adjusting. We're always <laughs> willing to make adjustments. Well, live with it. You know, that's just the <laughs> life as we know that's it. That's probably a pretty good allness statement is to say, <laughs> I'm always open. I'm always learning new things. Okay, well, one of our elements to our strategy, in addition to those three principles, is that we grow more of our own food year by year. We try to use as little energy as possible. We're building in redundancy, meaning lots of different ways to do those essential life functions. Uh, we want to become more and more um, involved in and supportive of the gift economy. And we pay attention to getting on the right side of money arbitrage. I know that sounds very technical, but we'll explain what it means as we move through the presentation. Well, first, let's talk about growing more of our own food, and that has involved um, a division of labor on our part, 
I'm focusing more on vegetable production, and you are focusing more on fruits and nuts. We're paying more attention these days than we have in the past to perennials. This is some asparagus growing out on Veg Hill, and we're real proud of the way it's coming along. And these are some blueberries that are growing on the blueberry strip just north of the barn. And they, too, are doing well. We had our best year ever in blueberries this year. And and as many people would already know, your ultimate perennial diet would come from fruit. These are trees that, if they're healthy, can live and provide food for you for many, many years. So we're glad to have those And we're sort of counting on that. We are counting on it, yes. We pay more attention these days to open pollinated varieties and to seed we can save. This is uh, some uh, Kentucky Wonder Green beans. No, those are rattlesnake beans. Rattlesnake, sorry, sorry. If you're looking at the slide, I have the palm of my hand upturned, filled with rattlesnake beans from last year's plants. And, of course, I can replant those. That's saving saving seed and and hopefully finding um, or developing over the years strains that are more and more adapted to our locale here. Uh, But interestingly enough, most of those beans from last year came back in the form of reseeding that the pods and the seeds had dropped onto the ground. And Yeah, let's clarify what that means. We are still harvesting green beans, but you have not yet planted any green beans. No, actually, those green beans are pretty much finished. They, we got we harvested them all late spring, early summer, and now I do need to plant my fall crop very soon. Well, get busy, Farmer Gordon. I Borden. know, but it's been fun to see those reseed and not even, as you said, I didn't even have to plant any. We don't use any chemicals, not even organic chemicals. We do have some neem oil, we have some vinegar, but they're sitting out on the pallet rack right now unused, not because we are scared to death of them, but just generally... We like to interfere as little as possible with the soil food web out there because we believe strongly in, in nourishing the predators who would come, the beneficials. And, and, and there's a danger that those would be killed off by some of those so we're, organic means. We try to use more patience than anything else. Like if we have a pest, we sort of wait and see if maybe we'll see a predator for it come up. Yeah. The way we do it is organic no-till. Um, There are many ways you could do this, but we've opted to do it with drip irrigation, and the irrigation tape is buried, so that means tilling the soil is not a practical option for us, at least right now. At least right now. We have talked about in the future trying some weed control methods that might involve pulling the tape up so that we could till and then just replacing it, but we're open. Yeah. We try to keep something growing on our soil year-round. Here in central Alabama, if you did not do that, your soil would quickly lose organic matter. But when we keep something growing year-round the way we do, it um, keeps the organic matter pretty strong. This is a great picture of you out in the sun hemp. Um, That sun hemp's about 13, 14 feet tall, (laughs) which is taller than we should have let it get. We don't let it get that tall anymore because we've learned since then that it's better to keep it down around chest high or so. Um, But it is fun to see how tall it got. And the sun hemp, of course, was a summer cover crop that we put in, and it did fix nitrogen in the soil and, as you said, provided a lot of organic matter, biomass, etc. Dig does great root channels as Mm -hmm. well, those... um, 
the sun hemp stalks are fairly thick and robust and they'll go down into the soil and loosen everything up for you. Um, I would say better than tilling. Yes. Uh, we also have tried all different methods of weed control organically and barrier methods mostly. Last year we put um, cardboard and hay down. We've done some solarization with clear plastic. The sun beats down on the in this time of the year when it works when it's hot. And the sun beats down, kills off the weeds, at least for now. The weeds will come back. They are not, it's, it's obviously not killing them all the way down into the, their root level. But it is making for a bed that I can work with and maybe, again, plant that cover crop without the weeds taking over. We are always planting something, always tending something, always harvesting something. And that is something we can do because we're here in central Alabama where crops can grow year-round yeah so we, as a result we don't do a lot of canning we've done some and we did um here's our all-american right. 14 quart canner and when we first moved here we thought we'd be canning up a storm we just thought mm -hmm. we'd be canning everything in sight and during the winter time we'd be living off canned vegetables and so forth well what we've learned is that it's a whole lot more fun to be harvesting fresh vegetables mm -hmm. in the winter than to be pulling a can off the shelf. So we've got um, Brussels sprouts and cabbage and collards and kale mm -hmm. and what's the funky one with the... Kohlrabi. Kohlrabi growing mm -hmm. in the wintertime, and we're able to harvest that fresh. And we freeze a lot. Well, we do some canning, as I said, we... Uh, last year, with our bumper crop of rattlesnake beans, we canned 11 gallons of green, of green beans. We're not opposed to that. But freezing, and we do have a deep freeze, that helps, um, is, is easier, faster, and it's worked well. And the example I like to give is the way I freeze tomatoes for use during the cold wintertime when you don't mind standing over a hot stove and cooking and heating something up and what I do is I just pick those tomatoes and after they've ripened I do I have to make sure they don't have a blemish or really bad significant bad place on them but if it's a, if it's a nice healthy looking tomato stick it in the on a, on a cookie sheet or a baking sheet in your freezer not touching each other they freeze hard as rocks you 24 hours later pull them out put them in a ziploc bag you're ready for just putting a Maybe run some hot water over them, thawing them out, put them in soup and stew later on. And I would say that our favorite thing to freeze in the deep freeze, and, and I put this picture in here so you could see, we don't have a massive deep freeze. Ours, I don't even know what size it is, but it's sort of the medium-sized deep freeze you can buy. But I can tell you it holds an awful, awful lot of food if in the stored in the way we store it. And our favorite thing to freeze, bar none, is soup or stew. Mm -hmm. um, and what we will do, you said 11 gallons of green beans. We actually froze about 11 and a half gallons of soup last year as well. And the nice thing about that is there's your meal for the evening. You come in and it's exactly. the, one of those short days and it's cold outside. Thaw out a little stew, cook up some cornbread or some... We freeze the soup something. in one-quart containers, which for us at least, that's the right size for a meal for two, and put a little bread or cornbread with it, and boy, we've got a great meal on a cold yeah. winter night. Okay, let's shift gears to using as little energy as possible. The two biggies for energy use are climate control, that is heating and air conditioning, 
and transportation. So let's take them one at a time. Uh, the neatest thing I can tell you about climate control is live in a tiny home. We live in a 600 square foot apartment in the pole barn and there is just no substitute for a tiny home when it comes to keeping climate control costs down. And especially heating. Winter warmth is not a problem. With, we have a wood stove. It does it more than adequately heats this space. But the, the problem in our area is staying cool. That's much more of a challenge. But the way you've designed our space here is what's made the difference. And I am quite proud of what we have done with the design of the barn and now the design of the lodge. So let's talk a little bit about the basic elements of it. Uh, first, we use a light-colored metal roof that initially reflects a lot of the sun's heat. So a lot of the heat never makes it down below the roof level, and that's a good place to stop it. We have a complete separation of the roof system from the living space. We put this picture in here so you could see that there's the roof. You're looking up. You're looking from underneath up at the roof. Then you see air. And then you see the beginning of our living space, which is very well insulated. And the, the net effect of it is it's like living under a huge shade tree that won't let any sun in at all. And that makes it much easier to keep this place livable. That's right. It's, I don't even know what the temperature is today. I guess it's about 92. It's 325 as we record this. We've got the fan going, and you and I are very comfortable here right. in the apartment. Without air conditioning. Without air conditioning. Windows are open. And, and this is another thing we should talk about is you've got, you designed this um, facility so that it runs bead on east and west. And so the windows that open up are coming from the south, but they're positioned with an overhang such that the summer sun, you know, as the, as the sun marches across the sky and the, across the season, during the season, the, the summer sun never comes in those windows. Never comes in any window of our home. Right. Not on the east, not on the south, not on the north, well, not on the sun. On because the west. we have porches, and, and we'll get to that. We have yeah. a strategic um, porch placement. But the, the overhang makes a difference. The height of the windows, and I know in the lodge we did a similar thing. We made them high enough that the summer sun doesn't come in, and as the sun moves, sometime we think in, what, August? It'll, yeah, it'll be about the second week of August. Yeah, the, the sun will begin to encroach a little bit, but, of course, it's not bad. And by the time you really get very much sun at all coming in those south-facing windows, it's wintertime, and it feels good to have it then. And it does feel good to have that winter sun coming in. And then the por porches that we have, there's a, a screened-in porch on the... Um, west side and on the east side it's the overhang of the pole bar barn that's not um, it's just you know it's not screened but it is protected from sun that as you said keeps any direct sunlight from coming into the apartment so the overall effect is we are bathed in direct sunlight in the winter and there is no direct sun that comes into the apartment in the summer and that um, that is working great we use casement windows wherever possible rather than double hung, and the reason is simple. You open a double hung window and it's still half closed. You open a casement window and it's 100% open. Yeah, if you open it all the way, that's right. And then we have stack windows, these um, windows that are in the ceiling of the pole barn, and well, I mean in the apartment, and there's really only one in the small apartment. We've put more than that in the lodge that we're building. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but we... Um, 
and that's to to allow the hot air as it rises to exhaust out into that space between the roof and the ceiling. Exactly. You're constantly exhausting the warmest air in the room. We use a lot of ceiling fans. We do not have a whole house fan. A lot of people are excited about those, and we don't have any objection to whole house fans, but uh, we prefer to let convection do that for us and then just use ceiling fans to move the air around, which makes it much more comfortable given the same temperature. Yeah, and, and we've uh, the fan we're using right now, the picture you showed, is a very efficient, kind of a strange-looking fan, but it's newer technology, very efficient. Uh, the ones that we've added in the lodge are not quite like that, but they seem to be working fine. We were unable to find any fan like this when we got ready to buy fans for the lodge. So yeah. uh, the ones in the lodge are much more traditional-looking ceiling yeah. fans. But they work. And um, one thing that we've added to our presentation is to say that as we're building the lodge and finishing it up, we're using the same design principles there, just a little bit larger space. That is, no direct sunlight coming into the building or into the, the heated and cooled space. Um, the stack windows for ventilation, the fan, ceiling fans, good insulation, um, light-colored metal roof to bounce the sun off. Um, you might want to add more, but I mean, we're using those same well, no, I think you you captured it wonderfully. The only thing that we have changed, it, we've learned that here in the barn, staying warm in the winter is easy and staying cool in the summer is a little harder. So the tweaks we have made for the lodge are designed to make it harder to stay warm in the winter and easier to stay cool in the summer. Namely, we have added windows on the north side of the lodge. We don't have any windows on the north side of the apartment here. Mm -hmm. And we also have raised the ceiling height by one foot. And I think we will see a difference from that. It should be easier to stay cool in the lodge. We hope so. And, uh, you know, if you didn't grow up in the South or uh, haven't spent a lot of time without air conditioning, um, this might sound foreign to you or unpleasant. I don't know. But the most important factor is to get used to it. Actually, the people who did grow up in the South might find it the most unpleasant because they know how bad it they feels know how bad in it July, feels. like right. right now. <laughs> but, um, you know, those of us who I, I can remember some years without, without air conditioning as a young child before my parents finally, we moved into our first house with air conditioning when I was maybe eight. And, um, and the houses you and I lived in as children were not nearly so well designed as the one we no, live in now. No, not at all. No. This one, it's far more comfortable in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we spent a good bit of our teenage, young adult, and middle age period living in air conditioning and getting adjusted to air conditioning. But here, you know, fairly late in life, I, I guess we moved here in our mid-50s, We've adjusted quite easily to living without mm -hmm. air conditioning. It, people here, we don't have air conditioning, and they think we're sitting down here just suffering, and it's really not that hard. Believe me, I don't like suffering. I'm not a martyr. So if I were hot, I'd turn the air conditioning on. But And we have a window unit in this apartment. But I typically just don't even feel the need. Um, and if I have a guest who wants it on, that's a different matter. We'll turn it on. But... Um, Okay. Well, let's talk about transportation, because that's the other way you can really burn through some energy. 
to avoid any unnecessary transportation cost, one of the things we tried to do early on is to locate our farm close to a small town. Uh, in our case, Tallahassee, which is about six miles from our farm. Uh, we can bicycle to Tallahassee easily. We're also reasonably close to Montgomery, where your mom lives. Right. We're about a 25-minute drive from her house and from uh, shopping that we can do there. So we've learned to adapt to that. Um, we also have reason to go to Wetumpka a lot, and that's about 30 minutes away. Plenty of conveniences there as well. So when we do visit Tallahassee or Montgomery or Wetumpka, we, tr we consolidate trips. That is, we, we get what we need. Um, so I don't think, oh, I'm out of milk. Well, let me just run to the store. Even if it's the 10 minutes away, 10 minute drive to Tallahassee, um, I try to think through before I leave, what do I need? Because, yeah, I, I, it's not as convenient and we want to save the energy. It's rare for us to make any trip to any town without making at least three or four stops. Yeah. Sometimes six or seven. Yeah. One other thing about energy is that we almost never use the clothes dryer anymore. We own a washer and a dryer, and when we first moved down here, we used it a pretty good bit. In fact, we used it exclusively for our laundry. Mm -hmm. But then when we got the clothes line up, um, we have really enjoyed using that, and we're quite comfortable with the clothes line. You still insist on using the dryer for the towels you're going to take to share with others. Right. Either, yeah, our lake place, if we're washing towels that go there, or for guests to use at the lodge. Um, most people in our culture do not care for the towels the way they feel if they're not in from the clothes dryer. And as you pointed, have pointed out many times, when the power grid goes down, all people will, well, there's that all in this statement. Most people <laughs> will get used to the way it feels without the uh, clothes dryer dried towels but right now for the moment that's how i use the dryer and i just have to hop up on my soapbox and say i prefer the way the towels feel when they're on i the do too line. but and i you know some some people have heard me say on the podcast i've done a good bit of traveling in my life and been to a lot of b&b's in scotland where and i cannot imagine a more pleasant experience than that um and yet they don't own dry clothes dryers so most of the time, the towels I had hung in my room every morning were air-dried, and they were just fine. But it's a cultural thing, right? Okay. All right. We decided you were going to do most of this because yeah, of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about the fact that we have built redundancy into our plan. Um, what do we mean by redundancy? Lots of different ways to do something uh, so that we aren't caught flat-footed, so to speak, if there's a run, we can't get energy, we can't get um, power, you know, or one, one method of getting that done goes down. So uh, one of the first way, uh, watchwords is we don't use monoculture, no monoculture in growing. Um, because, for example, if I had depended on only squash for sustenance last year, we would have been in big trouble because the squash bugs basically wiped out my squash. So luckily I had a lot of other vegetables growing out on Veg Hill. And when the squash went down, we turned our diet to the sweet potatoes and the okra and the green beans and the peas and the tomatoes and the peppers and the eggplants, and I could go on and on, that we had to eat. So, and, and same with fruit. We have a lot of different kinds of fruit trees. Mm -hmm. We're not just growing plums. We're growing 
and and so this past year when we had not enough chill hours for some of the fruit we had enough for others and we have fruit we have many ways to cook we actually calculated we have a dozen different ways to cook food here and you'll list those fun. will you list those on the show notes be page? glad to list those on the show notes page uh nothing you know you'll when you see our list you say well gosh i've got five or six and you probably do you probably do you're more probably much more redundant than you think um we also have lots of different ways to get fresh water we have um of course a, we- a well which is the primary means of that we use now we've put in place for the future a system for harvesting rainwater and we'll talk more about that later we don't we haven't completed that but that'll be another way we have a pond and um, we can actually we're on the verge of coming up with a new way to filter that even to make that potable water and I'll let you talk about that in a few minutes well I'll go ahead and talk about it okay. now it's a Berkey water filter that we are intending to buy for each other for our birthday yeah. in October yeah. and uh, it filters you know several gallons at the time of whatever water you are able to get and i'm guessing we'll probably start with harvested rainwater out of those rain barrels up around the lodge it's probably mm-hmm. a little cleaner than the pond water but we could use the pond water we if could. we needed it also we have a creek that runs through the property a nice robust creek and then another way even though we haven't chosen to tap into it because we'd have to locate on the other side of our property but we actually could get city water um, if we were built farther away from, you know, we we wanted this building site, but if we had chosen to build over on the other side, or if somebody came along and wanted to, you could get city water. We have many ways to travel. We have several vehicles. We're careful to use the vehicle that has the least fuel consumption given the need that we have. So if we need a truck, we'll take it. If we don't, then we can take a car. And if we don't need a car, we can take a scooter or we can take a bike or we can walk. That's right. Walking is uh, way underrated these days. We also have lots of different ways to get electricity. And we you can, are. Yeah, you can argue that uh, there's really no need for humans to have electricity. You know, why are we worried about having power? Rightly or wrongly, you and I made the decision when we moved here that we were going to build our farm around having electricity. Mm-hmm. So that results, for example, in our having a deep freeze that must be kept cold by mm-hmm. electricity. So, you know, whether we should have or not, it doesn't matter. We've already locked ourselves into that. We need electricity on a regular basis in order for this all to work. And we're on the grid we're we're right now. We're on the grid with Central, Central Alabama yeah. Electric Co-op. We have a standby propane generator. We soon hope to have uh, 5K of... Uh, photovoltaic panels, solar cells on the roof of the pole barn, which will give us a third way to produce electricity if we need it. And then somebody was talking about the other day, and we've certainly thought about this with our kids if we had their help on it, is harnessing the power of water, micro hydro. Exactly. We've told our children that, and they talk from time to time about coming here to live with us at Longleaf Breeze, and we always mention, well, good, then you can deal with the issues about micro hydro and figure out how we can do that. So that would be a fourth way. Right. We did that. Uh, these next two are probably, they fall more under my bailiwick because I sp- spend more time thinking about them. Uh, the first is the gift economy. We're big believers in the gift economy, which is based on relationships instead of money. It's different from barter because you're not trying to trade something. You're just giving it away. We give to others out of our abundance, and others give away out of their abundance. 
and we each help each other out when we are in need. And this was all sort of abstract and aren't we good people for priming the pump up until two weeks ago. Right. Uh, When I fell water skiing, dislocated my shoulder and injured my brachial plexus nerve, which means my left arm is a pretty much a limp piece of spaghetti right now. It's, it's doing not, a little bit better It's these doing days. a little bit better, but yeah. basically I don't have the use of my left arm. And it has been gratifying and almost thrilling, I guess, to see the way our friends, neighbors, and family have closed in around us and everyone saying without exception, I'm ready to help. Just let me know what you need and we'll be there. Yeah. We'll, you know... Clean out your toilet, we'll mow your lawn, we'll hang out your clothes, we'll do whatever needs to be done, just let us know what needs to be done. Including our extension agent, bless her heart, Mallory Kelly told me the other day, she'll be glad to come weed our garden if we need her to. Oh my to. goodness, well, I hope it doesn't come to that, but yeah. Uh, but yeah Mallory, we... we've got better things for you to do, but um, but it, it it is exciting to see the way people are closing in on that. All right, so the other thing is getting on the right side of money arbitrage. We pay a lot of attention to the flow of money. We work to make money off the farm. I I am still a practicing attorney, and I help people with divorce, and I make money fairly quickly when I act as an attorney. Then when we spend it on the farm, we tend to spend it rather slowly, unless we're building a lodge. Then we spend it like it's going out of style, but... You know, once we get the lodge finished, we will spend money rather slowly on mm-hmm. things like building chicken tractors and that sort of thing. But every now and then we get caught and we do it in reverse where we go somewhere um, and end up spending money at the worldview pace, even though we've made it at a slower pace. And my and, example is when I, we go see our children who live in Los Angeles, um, that happens and all it takes is one good meal at a sushi bar and there's the budget we've blown the budget (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about what's on the what's out in our future Uh, the first thing by agreement that we will approach after getting the lodge finished and getting moved in is laying hens our plan is to have them in chicken tractors on the orchard floor and move them around on a regular basis so they can help peck at all the different little bugs and grass and weeds and they can poop poop on the poop there and provide their fertilizer and we have a pond that is in deep need of help uh it's uh, out of balance we'd like to be able to stock that with fish so that we can derive some sustenance from the pond so that's another project in the future i'm going to treat all three of these together under water management the first is the rainwater harvesting right now we have all of the downspouts focused in one six inch pvc pipe that simply flows down the hill our hope is to install a lower tank at the end of that PVC pipe. Then with the benefit of the photovoltaic panels that we hope to install on the south-facing surface of the pole barn, when it's PV time, that is when the sun is shining, we will be pumping from that lower tank up the hill to an upper tank that is the highest point here on the core campus, considerably higher than the lodge or the barn. Right. And once it's up in that higher tank, when we call for water from the upper tank, if it's if we're having grid power at the time, the tank will have a pump that will pump it down at household pressure. If we don't have grid power at the time, 
then the water will simply flow by gravity. It will not have as much pressure as you would normally expect in a household, but it'll have enough to wash your hands, to fill a coffee pot, to flush a toilet, and maybe even to take a week shower down here in the barn. We won't know that till we try it, but, but that's our hope. But we'll be grateful to have uh, water. And, of course, we could um, draw water from our pond for drip irrigation. That's the Something third aspect yeah. of our water management strategy, to pull water from the pond for drip irrigation rather than from our well. Why do we do that? Well, the pond's head, the, the distance we've got to pump the water, is about 45 feet. The well is 228 feet, so it takes a lot more energy to pull that water up from the well than it would to pull it from the pond. And then we hope to install a solar thermal water heater in the right outside to be used in the barn. Um, we've seen these used before. Yes, there's an overhead expense associated with it, but because this is where we live and do most of our hot water using, it makes sense in the, long, in the long run to have the sun do some of the heating work for us. Exactly. So. And um, we put that uh, photovoltaic array on the south-facing surface of the pole barn. And we also have hopes to do honeybees. Yes, we have. And I have a friend who's already um, offered to mentor me, Steve George. Thank you so much, you and Suzanne, for uh, maybe helping me get jump-started on this. I'm excited. Well, we don't have the way to take questions right now, but we hope that you will encourage yourself to um, ask us questions here at Longleaf Breeze. There are lots of different ways to do that. Email, um, leave something on the website for us. We're always eager to hear from you about what you're curious about after listening to one of these podcasts. Sorry that it ran long, but we appreciate your patience in staying with us through this. We will look forward to visiting with you next week. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week.